Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of the wrongdoings. Extol the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord, our God, is holy. The word of the Lord. There are good psalms, and then there are just fine psalms, right? The good ones are the ones you know and love, like, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Or you who take refuge and hide underneath the shelter of his rings, wings will abide in his shadow. will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, my, my strong place. Or Psalm 139, you know, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, cast me not away from your presence, right? The ones that if you know them, you know them. And if you, and then there are Psalms like this, the Lord is king, let the people tremble. At the end, let, he sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Anytime you say cherubim, I'm out. I'm like, okay, great, a weird-looking angel. That's fun. What am I going to do with that, Lord? Thanks a lot. Like, that's my, my first impression to this psalm was, and then I dug into it, and holy buckets, I can't get into it all, because if I get into it all, we will, no joke, I, I had to cut a lot. So there will probably be a podcast this week um, so that we can all get out of here. Is there a Vikings game today? Go sports. What time? Oh, well, we'll be out of here by then. Uh, so here's what I'm going to do. I want to, um, well, so, but it's not a boring psalm. Um, and this psalm has like a gravity, a middle that can pull us into a life with God at the center or a life where we understand that God is king. God rules. God is in charge. Which is, by the way, right now, like uh, a friend sent me a, a picture this morning of a, a house uh, and then a, a burned down house and then a Bible like in the center of the picture. And it was like, family's house burns down. Only thing unburned was the Bible. And then there was this like little sarcastic comment like, well, that was nice of him. Um, right? There are these moments where we go, do you know what you're doing? Like, the amount of times I've heard people talk in the last couple months about how maybe this all is just a simulation. It was hilarious at first, right? There's like some weird scientist who's like, maybe we're all living in the matrix and it's a simulation. It's like a not low number of people who think we might be living in a simulation. Because that kind of connects to this like, what is happening? This is all crazy. But this psalm invites us to recognize that God is king. And it's a psalm where the people actually would every year get, that when they would get together, they would remember, they would restate that God was king. So, kids, I told you I needed your help. I need you all to draw me some crowns. 
Okay? You don't have to. And if your kids, when I say kids, there's a very, very um, wide definition of the word kid. Basically, if you want to draw, draw me a crown. Okay? All right, cool. Great. Not for me to wear. I'm just inviting you to draw a crown. Um, And this psalm is about as timely as they get. We are considering this topic of this psalm with just very different language. Elections, crownings, um, who is in charge, right? Like, who gets to be the decider? Uh, Who gets to make the decisions? Who is in power? Who is really in power? How does power work? So now suddenly the psalm's not that boring to me. It's like, oh, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're living in. Um, So what I want to do is I want to tell a story from Scripture that will um, help this psalm open up to us a little bit. Um, If we have time, I'll give three things from the psalm. Otherwise, it'll just go on the podcast. But, all right. So, um, if you want to, you can um, get to 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time. Um, So, as we get ourselves to 1 Samuel 8 to get there, um, it's actually quite helpful to just to count the the books of the Bible to get there. Genesis, right? It's the story of the beginning where God creates everything, including us, and then tells human beings what their role is within creation. And it is to work and to care for creation. That's the first two, three chapters of Genesis. There's a brokenness or a disruption that happens in Genesis 3 that really follows all the way to the end of Genesis. If you think your family has problems, just read Genesis, Okay, like, if anything, it normalizes family problems. Doesn't say they're the way they should be, doesn't say they're good, doesn't say don't don't engage with the problems, but it says to you, if you are participating in a family or a community where there is difficulty, welcome to the club. Everybody's in. That's what's happening in the book of of Genesis. Uh, And in fact, the book of Genesis ends with a brother who was harmed and betrayed by his brothers restoring wholeness to his family by loving people who didn't deserve it. I mean, right away, there is conversation about grace, mercy, uh, gospel, right there. Good news, restoration. And we get into Exodus, and it's the story of what does it mean to be in relationship with each other, with God. It's the story of sacred community. It's the journey uh, of sacred community. Genesis, Exodus, I still have to actually backtrack to get it right, right? It's like, what comes after Q, Q, R, okay, right? So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Not some weird book. It is kind of weird, but what it's basically doing is telling you what worship should look like. You, have, you don't have to have any questions. What do, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm engaging in this covenant with God well? Right? Like, did we offer enough things on the altar? I guess it didn't rain. God must be mad. Nope. Leviticus says, here's what you do. This is the way you do it. It's very clear in how God expects God's community uh, to act. And what's one of my favorite things about Leviticus is the first worship leaders, they didn't play music. They were butchers. I mean, let's like think about that for a minute. And by the way, what was happening in the sacrifices wasn't just a whole bunch of stuff getting burned and going to waste. There were some things that that were burned and sort of dedicated, but it fed a group of people. It fed the Levites. And this part of the sacrifice you as people would bring, we as people would bring, would, we would eat it. When I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, uh, 
for Passover, the whole place smells like a barbecue. It's amazing. You walk through parks and there is no place to sit because every place is occupied by families with grills. It wasn't about wasting your food and making sure God got your bowl so God didn't get you. It was about sharing. It was about community. It was about nourishing your body. Um, So that's Leviticus. Numbers is sort of this story of what does it mean to be in the wilderness? What does it mean to hear God speaking while you're wandering the wilderness, getting ready to leave to go into a land promised? And then Deuteronomy is the words. It's Moses' last sermon. So you read it and you're like, but didn't I read that here? Didn't I read that here? Didn't I read that here? Yes, it's a 30 plus chapter sermon. You're welcome. I don't do that. I won't do that to you today. Um... So uh, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you get to Joshua, which is coming into the land. Then you go to Joshua, Judges, which is really what I want to cue in on for our setup here, Um, which is the story of the people kind of cycling in and out of idolatry and uh, and not practicing justice, which biblically defined justice is infidelity to God and not care for your fellow human being. That's it. You want to know what injustice is? That's what injustice is. That's how scripture will define it. And what would happen is the people would constantly forget. That sound familiar? That feel familiar? Anybody else forgetful? Anybody else get confused? Anybody else get so sucked into something that's happening in the moment that you forget what you're really doing there and you find yourself on autopilot and 30 minutes later you're like, oh boy. Oops. It's what would happen. God would raise up judges to restore justice. And it would cycle back and forth and over and over and over. One of the best lines from the book of Judges is, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That sound like any time you're living in it all? Right? This is what's happening in the book of Judges. The book of Ruth takes place during the time of Judges, which is the next book. And then we get to 1 Samuel, okay? So Samuel is, is a prophet, but he's also functioning as a judge of Israel. All right? God has raised him up. He wasn't like in a line of succession. His Parents weren't important. Uh, in fact, the beginning of Samuel tells the story of how he got there, and it's a beautiful story. We, I can't go there. But it, it, God raises Samuel up to restore justice for his people. And so this is where we enter into uh, to the story. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read through Samuel chapter 8. So I'll invite you to look at that, because you already have your Bible out, because we read together already. So... So I'm going to read and make some comments, throw things at me, ask questions if you want. That's fine. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. All right, so there's a couple things here that are worth noticing. Uh, one is Samuel's old. Why does it tell us he's old? It tells us he's old. In, well, one of the reasons it can tell us he's old is because he's tired. He wants to retire. He's done, he's done judging. He's done being a prophet. He's done speaking to Israel. He's old, and so he wants to retire. And so what does he do? He appoints his sons to take his place. Samuel, that's not how this works. You're not a king. This isn't a dynasty. All right? Plus, your sons aren't quite up to the job. 
So Samuel's tired, he's old, he's ready to be done, and he puts the wrong people in the wrong place to do the wrong job. I love the... Uh, Judges don't always do justice. I mean, think about that. Just because you're a judge doesn't mean you're just. It's not a given. Titles don't provide prep. They don't provide character. They don't provide the ability to actually do the job. The job of the judge was to restore justice, and these judges weren't doing it. And so Samuel engages in some nepotism. And the, uh, the, one translator translates what his son's doing. It says he, they were bent on gain, they took bribes, and they twisted justice. They bent the thing off from the straight to where they wanted it to be. Now here's what's really helpful to see here as well. And, and you're, you're going to see this and how God interacts with Samuel from this point on. But Samuel makes a pretty big mistake here. Samuel's not out. God doesn't dispose of or disregard Samuel. Have you made mistakes? Have you made huge mistakes? It is not God's demonstrated way to say, you're done, you're out, I'm finished with you. It's not a one and done. This is a big mistake. God does not get rid of Samuel because he makes an error. All right. Keep going here, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old. <laughs> Sorry. You're old. And your sons don't follow your way. Why did there have to be an and? Like, that was just it, right? You're old and your sons don't follow in your ways. A point for us, here it is, then a king to govern us. Now, they don't just want a king. They want a king. And here it continues, like other nations. Dun, dun, dun. Terrible reason. There are reasons to want a king. Not a good one. What's the, what's, the, what's the adage every parent has said to every child ever? If your friends jumped off a bridge, would you too? I've never used it, but uh, that phrase. Um, <clears throat> so the elders, the leaders, the ones who should know better, right? Because it didn't just mean the old people went to Samuel and said, you're old. No, the elders are the people with experience who were entrusted with leading their, their different parts of their communities, went to the person who was over sort of all of the communities and said, and they should have known better, but we want to change, and they don't. And here's what's crazy is, this is and this is in verse five, they skipped a few steps. Are they right to have a grievance with Samuel and Samuel's sons? Absolutely they are. But what do they ask for? A king. They don't go to Samuel and say, excuse me, Samuel, we have a problem. Your sons are unjust. 
They skip a few steps. They short circuit the conversation. Have you ever done that? You ever like short circuit a conversation? Like you're in some conflict with someone and instead of going like, well, here's step one, step two, step three, step four, you just go right to step four because that's what you want and you don't got time to play ring around the rosy or the merry-go-round. And it usually doesn't go well. They skip some steps with Samuel. They don't say your sons are crooked, fix it. They don't say, what does God have for us? They don't ask for justice. They don't ask for correction. They ask for something to be just like all of the other people. But the, uh, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Okay, now wait, before I continue. Um, up to this point, if we're just reading the story, we go, whose fault is it that they're here? Whose fault? Um, you can actually answer me. I'll make room for, sorry. Sometimes I don't. Whose fault is it that they're here right now? Samuel's. Samuel's sons, but really it's Samuel's fault because who was in charge? Samuel, and who practiced nepotism and put his sons there? Samuel. So this is Samuel's fault. So what we should expect to hear right now is God say, you know what, Samuel? You get what you deserve. This is your fault. They're asking for a king because you were a bad judge. Okay? That's what I expect to hear. And then we get to verse, uh, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this very day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then listen to their voice. Only solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. So God is saying, Samuel, I know you made a mistake. You did the wrong thing. You shouldn't have done this. It wasn't right. But this isn't about you, Samuel. It's not about you. This is about my people and me. So listen to what, give them what they want. Careful what you wish for, you just might get it. Give them what they want. But before you give it to them, warn them. Give them this warning. Make sure they understand the terms of the agreement they're entering into in this whole thing. So then Samuel does it in verse 10 through, what is it, verse 18. I'm not going to read it. You can read it. I'm going to summarize it. Okay, so Samuel is supposed to, before they get a king, tell them what a king's going to cost them. And here's what the cost of the king is. This is what the cost of getting security is. They want security. They want to be like the other nations. They want to make sure that when, when war comes, they got a king. So the cost of that is this. The king will draft your children into military service. The king will draft them to work in his fields, not your fields, because they're not your fields anymore. He will um, uh, conscript them to work in your factories to be perfumers. Yes, it says perfumers. Cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, vineyards and olive uh, groves, and then he's going to take a tenth of everything that's left. He's going to take your fields... He's going to like double dip. He's going to have his cake and he will eat it too. He's going to take your animals and put them to work for him and then he's going to take a tenth of the animals as well. 
people, you shall be his slaves. Now you hear this, and you go, I don't want that. That sounds terrible. Uh, no, right? We expect people to say, this, these, this deal sounds, sounds terrible. We're not going to give up our, our freedoms for this, for this kind of security. But what do they say? Verse, uh, what are we, verse 19. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel and said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that other king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. Full stop. This is what's happening in this story. This is what's happening in our lives. We want people to fight our battles for us. Let me be clear. A good king goes out to fight battles with. David's a good king sometimes. When he's a good king, he's out fighting. When does David get in trouble? When they're out fighting and he stays home. A good king goes out to battle with his people. There's no scenario, there is no scenario where somebody will fight our battles for us. You can want it. Amen. I love babies, seriously, like make all the noises. It's like I get an amen from them. There's not a scenario where, where a king is going to fight your battles for you. This is the world we're living in right now. We all want to elect a president. I mean, we all want a king that's going to fight our battles for us. We want somebody else to solve poverty. We want somebody else to solve justice. We want somebody else to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. We want somebody else to do the things so we don't have to. But that is not how it works. No, we are determined to have a king over us so that we may be like the other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. So, this is in verse 21. Samuel hears all of the words of the people and he repeated them within the ears of the Lord. He basically went and said, God, this is what they said. And God says... Listen to their voice and set a king over them. So Samuel then says this to the people of Israel. What does he say? Go home. Okay, go home. He sends them home. He's done. Put a king over us so he may fight our battles for us. All right. Yeah, see, it's 1050. So I'm going to skip all of this stuff, and I'm going to go right down to the jugular. Okay. Sorry, or you're welcome. I don't know which. Um, usually I speak, when I, okay, when we do this thing, when we do sermons, right, I talk pastorally. That makes sense? I'm a nice guy. Um... Today I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to speak prophetically. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to tell you the future, okay? because that's not what the prophetic voice does in Scripture. 
even if people tell you that's what it does, the prophetic voice is not saying, and this is what will happen. The voice of the prophet in scripture is set on naming the present. It is naming the present, what is happening right now, so tomorrow can be better. And if I'm honest with you, if you thought, man, Daniel was off his rocker, he was a little unsettled last Sunday, it's because this was in my heart and I didn't know how to do it. And I was nervous. I was nervous I would offend, I was nervous I would hurt, I was nervous. Actually, it's not all that nervous because this is just, this is, a, this is a word I need and I think we need right now. <clears throat> so, stop looking for someone else to fix the problems around you. You don't want it. You are sons and daughters of the king. You are and have been invited to participate in the restoration of justice, of love, of mercy, of healing in our world. And I don't mean in places you can't see with your eyeballs in real life or go to. I mean the places your body is. You have been invited. You're not, if you're waiting for an invitation, you already got it. I just gave you it. You're being invited into being that type of a person in those places. No one else is going to fight your battles for you. Sorry. It kind of stinks. There's a phrase I want to look at in the, at the beginning of Psalm 99 together that I think is really helpful to sort of root, root that word in in this, well, in our time together with what's left. So if I invite you to go to Psalm 99, verse 1. <clears throat> Again, this is one of those verses that I just did not like. And now I'm like, holy buckets, this is rad. And it's also disturbing. It is a gift to be disturbed from terrible things. Amen? Even if you don't want it, even if it doesn't feel good, if you're like hooked on bad things, it is a kindness for someone to disturb you from it. What does it say, Psalm 99? Let's read it together. Wherever you are, the Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth Quake. When God is king, as God is king, things will tremble. The things that will be shaken will be shaken. And it is a gift for them to be shaken. It is a gift for them to tremble because then you can shed, then you can walk away from, then we can shed, then we can walk away from the things that are killing us in every way. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. This time we're living in right now, who loves this? Does anybody love this? No. 
I don't know anybody who's, well, I know a few people who are like, this is pretty cool. I don't have to ever talk to anyone. That's fair. Okay, but most, most of us are like, this is terrible. Have you considered for a moment, and I've said this in many conversations, so you probably heard this from me, the very mechanism that spread this virus so quickly that turned it into a pandemic is the same um, mechanism that gets you your bananas in February. It is the global economy. It is the way we go back and forth all over these places. That very thing that was so good for us, like, hey, I get oranges. I shouldn't be able to have an orange. I shouldn't be able to have a banana. Hey, things that don't grow here, that grow half a world away, I can get a star fruit. My favorite time of produce is October because they bring out the scary fruit at the grocery store. You know what I'm talking about? The weird ones, you're like, what is this? Super cool, right? It's awesome. I love it. And the downside is, hey, when we go back and forth like that, things move pretty quick. And when you start like thinking about food and like how, what, what I've read is that we got enough food to feed everybody on the planet, right? The problem is not that we don't have enough stuff. Problem is we haven't figured out how to, take, how to share it. And I'm not talking about capitalism or communism or socialism. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about you and me. We haven't figured out how to do it. It's not a bad thing to be shaken. It's not fun. But it's good. It's not easy. But easy things aren't good. Well, easy doesn't equal good. So, one, uh, one quick thing, and then we're going to take a moment to um, get our communion stuff. We'll do communion together as we've been doing the last few days, or last few weeks. Um, <clears throat> um, so I'll invite you to do that. Um, and then, well, there's just one other, there's one other verse here from the Gospel of John that I want to just drop in our mind. Um, so this is at the end of Jesus' life. And the crowds that had welcomed Jesus a week earlier with shouts of Hosanna, Palm Sunday, right? He's coming into palm trees. He's riding a donkey. Things are happening. You know, like the Viva la Revolution. Like this is going down. He's coming in. There's this expectation that he's going to throw off the iron fist of Rome. Rome will be shaken. Yes, let's do this. A week later, the same voices that shouted Hosanna. Do you remember what they shouted? crucify. And what they said when Pilate said to them, this is your king, don't you want him? They said, we have no king but who? Caesar. Full stop, what? We have no king but Caesar. So as we get ready to come to the table, we have no king but blank. I have no king but blank. How would you fill that in? Let's ponder that. Let's see if we can have a little bit of an answer in our heart as we come to the table of the king who wore a crown. What kind of crown did Jesus wear? Thorns. He was crowned. He was crowned with thorns. So we'll take a moment. Um, if you need communion stuff, We've got some out there. Um, I can bring you some. But at home, you can grab your communion stuff, and then, then we'll, we'll do that. We'll come to the table together.